as we make our way through the book of Acts, we're to Acts chapter 9, and, and we have basically one verse in view today, and that is verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Verse 31, we see what is a common pattern throughout the history of the church. There are times of great trouble and tribulation, followed by a time of relative peace, which then would be followed by persecution, and then a time of peace, and then persecution, and then peace. It will truly be that way while the church is on earth. And as we look at this verse, right away there are some things to clear up in the King James and in the New King James. We notice there in verse 31 that churches is in the plural. But in actuality, it's singular. The church. And so then the church, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. While the number of churches had multiplied, what Luke writes here is not a plural but singular. And so it is the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. He regards them all as part of the one church. And that is the same thing that we just confessed as we read uh, the Nicene Creed, that there is one holy apostolic Catholic church. And of course, the Nicene Creed was written before there was a Roman Catholic church. And so a church headed up by a pope and the various other things that we see were not in view during that time. It was Catholic, it merely means universal. One universal church. As we said on any given time, there when in heaven there's not denominational sections. And when we think of the secular world, I just think down the road there's First Citizens Bank, singular. But that bank has many branches. But the institution itself is singular. By the way, that's not an endorsement for any particular bank. We can say then that there's one church with many branches. And this would tie in nicely with what Jesus said about the vine and the branches that will be in the Sunday school lesson for next week. He is the vine. Believers are the branches. We don't speak of we are vines ourselves, but we are branches off the vine. And so it's worth noting that 
Luke considers the many assemblies of believers spread out into the three prescribed areas or districts as one church. Now, the first thing he makes clear or tells us about the church was that it had peace, or we could say rest, as I think it has in the King James, which means there was some tranquility. There was peace between individuals, and there was a respite from persecution from the outside. We're not to think of this, though, as spiritual rest, for they had that before. They've always had that, even in tribulation. The peace that Christ gave them was not as the world gives. It was a peace that could not be dictated by circumstances because it was an inward peace. And we're not to think that it was because of Paul's conversion that they had this time of peace. Remember, his conversion happened three years before this is being written, or this particular time in the history of the church. Yeah, you could say that his going back to Tarsus brought some kind of peace for his boldly proclaiming the gospel did stir up the Jews. And some might think when you read something like that, like in verse 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. But they attempted to kill him. And once again, in verse 30, there's the rescue. And the brethren frowned out. The brethren who were very hesitant to receive him at first, but then received him fully, they found out they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. It might be good here, while we just read that, that uh, when you read that he spoke boldly, spoke boldly in the name of, of Jesus. Some might think of the Apostle Paul as a man that was full of himself, full of confidence. Yet we have instances, I can name of three, where he asked for prayer from the churches that he would have boldness. You can see it in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. You can see it in Ephesians 6 and verses 19 and 20. You can see it in Colossians 4. In verses 3 to 4, all places in different places where he prayed that there would be boldness. And let's say this, there's a big difference between boldness and arrogance. He did not speak from a sense of superiority, but he spoke from a settled confidence, confidence in the truth, confidence then in Christ. We see the attitude today when it comes to debate or any kind of discussion that winning is the only thing. We must win and win at any cost. The argument, winning the argument is the most important thing. 
But sometimes in winning, you can actually lose. We must be careful. There are those out here, especially in some of the Reformed tradition, even in different places, who think coarseness is a good thing. And harsh speaking is a good thing. And using even foul language is a good thing. And they will point to little obscure places in Scripture and say, in the Old Testament, see, they used something really harsh back then. Without taking the time to do the study of what that meant at that particular time and how normal it was. In our time today, if we read the King James Bible, and I'm not saying anything against it, I'm just saying language has changed. And we refer to mules and donkeys differently than they did then. And to read it to modern ears, sometimes it sounds like you're talking about part of someone's anatomy instead of what they wrote on. So we, <clears throat> we are always aware of how we are to be seen and to speak that if we say things that are so shocking that people will say, we'll be caught up in that shocking moment and miss the truth that we're trying to get through. And this happens not only in the reform where I, I saw a portion of video from <clears throat> a, uh, a different type of Baptist group and the song that they were singing was, if you don't believe the Bible, then you can go to hell. And they're smiling as they're singing it. There's great joy on their faces as they're singing this song. And brothers and sisters, that is a very sad state of mind to think that you could smile at the idea of someone going to hell. It must mean that you really don't know what hell is about and why it exists. See, it's not only Bethel and some of the others we have problems with. Sometimes those who call themselves the most conservative are at a problem as well. It was not a brash self-confidence that Paul had, but a Christ confidence. There's also rest coming from the fact Historically, the Jews had other issues to deal with at the time rather than the Christians because Caligula had come to Jerusalem and set up or had his statue of himself set up in the temple to be worshipped. And that got them in enough of a tizzy where they were working on that and ignoring the Christians for a little while. And it's also worth noting that the three areas that are mentioned here in verse 31 are areas that existed as churches because of the dispersion from Jerusalem under the persecution that had begun there. The scattered believers, they went out into these areas preaching about Christ. So the church is growing, yet it's not because of the rest or peace or tranquility, for they were growing under persecution as well. It was not due to outward circumstances as the scripture tells us, but it was due to the graces of Christ. It said that the churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. They were edified. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. All these graces were upon the church at that time, and it caused these things to happen. During this time, there were some who came back to Jerusalem. We see when Paul came to Jerusalem, there was only uh, Peter and James. The others had gone off on different teaching and, and preaching missions. So we see that they had that surrounding peace, but they also had that internal peace. Then they were edified. They were built up. They were built upon the foundation of Christ through the ministry of the word. Now again, I mentioned singing. Singing is important. Music is important. Never discount that. It's, it's always important. It always will be. It's a, it's a tremendous tool for teaching and various things like that. <clears throat> but when the other apostles, when they went out, they didn't bring a band with them. They brought the word of God. And you know, they thought the word was sufficient. <laughs> These foolish old men thought, all you have to do is give the word of God. That's what we're here to do. Of course, today they're frowned upon. Well, you, you know, yeah, you got to bring this and you got to bring that and you got to have all these other accoutrements. They brought the word. They trusted in the word. And the church was edified, that it was built up, built up spiritually because of the word of God. Through the ministry of the word and the adherence to the apostles' doctrine. Again, that's what we confess in the creed, that we believe in one holy apostolic and universal church, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles with Christ being the cornerstone. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.20, having been built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's why we believe in a historic theology that we must go back to these times and find what was being taught and compare to where we are today. So they were getting built up. There were gifts of the Holy Spirit he was giving those uh, to gifted men to proclaim the truth and to build up the believers in the faith. And that edification would come, and we could say it had two parts to it. First, they walked in the fear of the Lord, and secondly, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about, for a moment, this fear of the Lord. It was there in the psalm that we read. It's here in this passage that we're looking at. So what does it mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, first and foremost, every single believer, every single believer, I can say this without any hesitation. That, well, maybe this group doesn't have. No, no, if you're a believer, this is what you have. You have a sense of, of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of amazement that God in his grace through his son has saved us and has adopted us 
as his children. There's a whole lot of modern church stuff and it's, that's designed to, to get the brain to produce dopamine. Certain beats and certain sounds and things sung over and over again that produce a reaction in the brain. How about what the truth does? How about a, a sense of awe and wonder and amazement that God has taken us sinners disgusting sinners in the sight of a holy God and brought us through the death of his son into acceptance before him. I won't go into this again, but the whole idea is not that we accept God, but God accepts us. We have to turn around the modern idea of what salvation is about. To be accepted by a holy God means that we must be in Christ. We must have his righteousness. We must have the forgiveness that comes through him. We must seek that in Christ that we might be accepted by God. Was that country song, Take Me As I Am or Let Me Go? No. It's not... Take me as I am. The fear that is spoken of here is part of that amazement that the Son covenanted with the Father before the world was to come and take on flesh and provide a propitiation for sinners. Now maybe from the looks of it I need to stop and let you think about that for a moment. Before the foundation of the world the, the Son and the Father covenant together to, that the Son would come and take on flesh and die in the place of sinners. This fear is not some cowering, ducking fear of wrath and condemnation. For as Paul says, we have not received the spirit of fear again. A fear of wrath and condemnation. But we've received the spirit of adoption by which we say, Abba, Father. It's a godly fear. It's a fear that is a gift. It's something that's a result of the constant blessings and mercies of grace and goodness towards us from God. It's a fear of seeming ungrateful. It's an increasing hatred of sin. And notice, it says about them, they had peace and were edified and they were walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking. That idea of walking. When we walk generally and hopefully, it's not aimlessly. But we have a, a goal in mind as we are walking. We have a destination. 
I mean, I guess you could say, well, I got on a treadmill and I did that. Of course, got nowhere. Well, you can do the same thing in a rocking chair. You can rock all you want and stay in the same place. Walking, not wandering aimlessly, but when we walk, we are walking toward something. Even if it's a goal of a certain number of steps in the day. The fear of the Lord for us is the desire to live and do as he has set forth for us. Not out of a fear of losing our place, but out of a state of gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude three G's of our salvation. Remember Enoch in, in, in Genesis chapter 5, it says twice in verses 22 and 24 that he walked with God. That means that in his life and in his day, as much as was humanly possible, God was before him, always trying to remember, living his life in the presence of God. Now, whether we remember it or not, we are. That's a reality. We're always in the presence of God. But the fear of the Lord is living our lives in his presence, <clears throat> which brings joy, but also makes us out of gratitude desire to live in a way that is pleasing unto him. We're, we're fearful of doing that which is, is against his will and his word, not because we're afraid of the punishment, because Christ took the punishment, but because out of love and gratitude for what he's done. And then this leads to enjoyment and comfort of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised to send the comforter. Paul tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, how? By the Holy Spirit. Who was given to us? It's another gift. Christ said, John 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'll come to you in a way that, that you never expected, but far better than the physical presence that you have now. And then in, in John chapter 16, in John 16 and verses 12 through 15, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I said he will take of mine and give it to you. This is a great and wondrous blessing. Do we ponder this? 
The Son of Man left physically, but the Son of God remained spiritually. In his leaving, he gave us the greatest of blessings. For now, in his humanity, he was confined to time and space. But in and through the Spirit, he would abide with believers everywhere. So when these men went out to preach, he was there. When they languished in prison, he was there. When scripture was being written, he was there. In every place, in every situation, in every moment, he was with them. And the same is true for us. Do we really know that? Do we realize that daily? The rhetorical question that David asked in Psalm 139, where can I go from thy presence? Well, the, the given answer was nowhere. And he went on to say, well, if I, I go to the highest mountain or descend to the lowest depths or the furthest part of the oceans or seas, even there, even there he is. This is why we now here can have peace. We can have edification and we have comfort because the Holy Spirit is God. And being God, he does not change. It's the same Holy Spirit, same God, same Savior, same Trinity. We enjoy the very things that the apostles enjoyed. A God who won't leave us or forsake us. A peace that passes all comprehension. The joy of being built up in the truth and being able to stand firm in the midst of a time. And of course, we point to our time and say, well, you know, there's never been anything like this. Did you ever, try to, did you ever read about the Spanish Inquisition? And various other times in history? We're not seeing anything different. It's just being magnified because it's on the screen every day. And the same truth that caused them to stand is the same truth that we have today. And the same spirit that gave comfort is the same spirit we have today. And the same Christ that was their Savior is the same Christ that is ours. Let's stand together for prayer.